please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Our sermon text today is Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. Let me read that text for us, and we will dive in together. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. May our gracious God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Well, twice in our passage this morning, the wise father of Proverbs 1 to 9 speaks to his son about his heart. Uh, The first reference you see is there in verse 21, when the father tells his son that his heart must keep the father's commandments. And the second reference is there in verse 23, which I take to be really the central verse of this passage. There in verse 23, the father urges his son, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Well, in the context of the book of Proverbs, that's a really remarkable claim. We've already seen several times that in Proverbs, life almost always refers to the good life. Life in Proverbs doesn't just mean having a pulse. In Proverbs, life regularly means life lived wisely or skillfully in relationship with God. Life is the flourishing that God intended for his image bearers to have and enjoy. So here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the father's claim to his son is that having true and abundant life is not first and foremost a matter of circumstances. It's not first and foremost a matter of luck or money or genetics. Whether your days will be characterized by the life that comes from wisdom or by the death and corruption that come from folly, this father is saying will be in large part determined by the state of your heart. And that's clearly the reason this wise father urges his son to keep his heart. The idea there being that he should devote careful attention to the state of his heart or to watch over it or guard it. We don't use that kind of language so much anymore, but actually we keep or we watch over things all the time. 
We watch over our spending and our saving to ensure that our finances are in order. Some of us take a keen interest in watching over our health through diet and exercise and Fitbits and Apple Watches and, and all the rest. Parents watch over the growth of their children. They take an active interest in how their kids are developing in every way. It's slightly different, but we watch over the fate of our favorite sports teams. We monitor how things go with them very carefully, even though we have no control over what they do, alas. Well, in verse 23, this father urges his son to watch over, to keep, to monitor, to guard, to protect his heart with all vigilance. That phrase there, with all vigilance, it's not entirely clear in the original text what it is, uh, but it's possible that that phrase should be translated, more than anything else you watch. Of all the things that you monitor, that you guard and protect and give attention to, Proverbs is urging you, more than anything else, watch over, keep, guard your heart. It is of supreme importance. Three questions to answer this morning that will guide our time together. First question, what is the heart? What is the heart? The second question, how do we keep our hearts? If we're to keep them, how do we do that? And then third point, very briefly, we'll conclude by asking, who can give life to our hearts? What is the heart? How do we keep our hearts? Who can give life to our hearts? First question, what is the heart? Well, Christian author Paul Tripp uh, has given a really helpful definition of the heart in the Bible that I'd like to share with you. I, I thought this week, I don't think that I can improve upon the definition that Paul Tripp gives us. Uh, Paul Tripp says this, he says, your heart is the causal core of your personhood. Your heart is the causal core of your personhood. Let's unpack that. So your heart is your core. Your heart is the thing right at the center of who you are. Your heart is the causal core. Your heart is what causes you, not forces you, but causes you willingly to do the things that you do. Your heart is the causal core of your personhood. Your heart isn't a thing inside you that's distinct from you. In a real sense, you are your heart. What we see throughout Proverbs is that your heart is where the real action of your life takes place. Now, let me flesh this out for you by showing you what happens in your heart according to Proverbs. Let me show you 10 examples of what your heart does, most, all of which, in fact, are from Proverbs. 10 things the heart does from Proverbs. Number one, your heart plans. Your heart plans. By my count, this is what Proverbs actually talks about the heart doing most often. The heart makes plans. Proverbs 16, verse 9, the heart of man plans his way. Elsewhere in that chapter, we're told that the plans of the heart belong to man. Or how about this one, Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, the purpose 
or the plan in a man's heart is like deep water. Turns out the Bible beat Sigmund Freud to the idea that many of our plans, many of our thoughts are subconscious. They're like deep water. They're difficult to plumb. So your heart is where you make plans. Your heart is where you talk to yourself in order to decide what to do. Your heart is the part of you that leans toward or away from this or that course of action. Even when you make your plans subconsciously and instantaneously, your plans come out of your heart. You might not think of yourself as much of a planner, but your heart is busy making plans all the time. Your heart sets the mission that the rest of you carries out. The heart plans. Example number two, the heart desires. The heart desires. You and I do things because we want things. And Proverbs would say to us, when you want something, the place that that wanting lives is your heart. In Proverbs chapter 6, the father is warning his son uh, against a temptation to adultery. Uh, And the father says this to his son. He doesn't just say, hey, son, don't commit adultery. He says this. He says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. For, For every person who's ever committed adultery, the desire, the plan, the desire to do that was born in the heart first. So the father doesn't just say, hey, don't, don't do that. He says, son, don't let the desire for that live in you. Don't give it a home. Well, one of the things we'll see as we walk through these examples of what the heart does is that your heart is intertwined with your body. So human beings are part physical, part spiritual. And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about, you know, the cardiovascular muscle. We're talking about something that's mainly part of the invisible part of us. But what we see from these examples is that the heart very much interfaces with our physical bodies. Right? The the desire for the adulteress, surely that's a physical desire. Surely that has to do with our biology. Well, Proverbs says, yeah, that's got something to do with it. But, but actually, most fundamentally, that desire happens in the heart. Your heart plans, your heart desires. Third example, your heart perceives. Your heart perceives. We've seen the, before that Proverbs teaches that one facet of wisdom is this notion of understanding. Or the ability to see reality clearly, to perceive what's going on. Well, Proverbs teaches that although your eyes are the organ that see the physical world, your heart is the organ that sees the world the way it is, or at least thinks that it does. Proverbs 16, 21, it says, the wise of heart is called discerning. The wise of heart is called discerning or perceptive, right? Your heart, Proverbs would say, has eyes through which you perceive and interpret the world. This is why, by the way, the way that you see the world, the way that you understand the world is shaped by what you want because it's the same heart that wants that perceives, right? This is why two very rational, intelligent people can get in a fight 
And both of them think, I am the victim and you are the perpetrator, right? Not because they lack intelligence, but because we see reality through the lens of a heart that wants things. Our heart is the organ of perception. Our hearts perceive. Example number four, your heart is where you are happy or sad. When you're happy or sad, nine times out of ten, your heart is where that's going on. Proverbs 15, 13 says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Again, notice the, the heart and the body are intertwined, right? Happiness has a physical bodily signature. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, we, we talked about this in our emotions Sunday school class. The way that our emotions relate to our bodies in a fallen world is so complicated. But ordinarily, not always, but ordinarily, our happiness and our sadness are indicators of what's going on in the heart. Listen, in a world of depression, sometimes our bodies are just broken, and that's why we're sad. But ordinarily, when there's sadness, when there's happiness, that's an indication of something going on in the deepest, non-physical part of us. Our hearts are where we are happy or sad. Number five, our heart is our character. Our heart is our character. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20, it, it talks about having a crooked heart, right? A, a heart that's bent out of conformity with what's good, with what's right. Proverbs 22, 11 talks about purity of heart, right? You get the picture. You, you don't enter each day. You don't enter each new situation without a predisposition already to act a certain kind of way. Your character, your moral habits your virtues, your vices, your besetting sins, these live in your heart. They're not accidents. And number six, your heart shapes your speech. Your heart is where your speech comes from. That was in our reading from Matthew earlier. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs twelve twenty three says, The heart of fools proclaims folly. If you have a foolish heart, a heart that doesn't fear God, then folly pours out of your mouth. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. When you ask a wise person a question, and they kind of think in silence before they deliver a wise answer, that's going on in their hearts. What you speak and how you speak, even how quickly and how often you speak, it's all shaped by what goes on in your hearts. Brothers and sisters, our speech is not an accident. We very, very, very rarely say things that, on some, that we don't on some level mean. Our speech comes from our hearts and number seven, our hearts are where we worry. Our hearts are where we worry. Listen, Proverbs, Proverbs empathizes with us in this verse. Proverbs 12, 25, it says, anxiety in a man's heart 
weighs him down. And that's what can be so painful about anxiety, right? Sometimes anxiety is, is passing in light. But sometimes anxiety gets down to our causal core. It gets down to the deepest part of us. Anxiety becomes unrest that weighs the whole of us down. Anxiety afflicts our hearts. Number eight, the heart is where pride lives. When we are proud, that's a function of our hearts. Proverbs 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You see, pride is not just a way of talking. Pride is not just a manner of expressing yourself or of treating people. Pride is a heart posture. Pride is an orientation that the the core of you takes toward God, that contends with God for glory and supremacy. Brothers and sisters, when we have a pride problem, we have a deep, deep, deep problem. We have a heart problem. Pride happens in our hearts. We could go to other places in the Bible that talk about a humble and a contrite heart. Pride and humility are where, or live in our hearts, rather. Number nine, example number nine, your heart trusts. Your heart trusts. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. How? With what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. See, your heart is always trusting. It's always leaning on. Oh, didn't know that pulpit would move. It's always leaning on something. It's counting on someone or something to make things okay. Your heart is relying on things and people and yourself or the Lord to deliver the goods, to make it all okay, to secure your blessedness. Your heart is always trusting. Final example, number 10. This one's not from Proverbs. I was wrong. Because your heart is what trusts, your heart is always turning toward or away from the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. See, just, just like your face, just like your countenance is always pointed somewhere, your faces now are all pointed toward the front of this room. Your heart is always pointed somewhere. Your heart is always looking somewhere for life and blessedness and peace. And so your heart is always turning toward God in trust that he will give you that life. Or it's turning away from him to something else for that life, to yourself, to other people. That's what we see the heart does throughout Proverbs. There's a whistle-stop tour. Can you see why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says what it says about the heart? Given what the heart is and does, isn't it immediately obvious 
that the kind of life you live is determined by the kind of heart that you have. It's not to say that if you have a pure heart, you'll never experience suffering, but it's to say that the way that you will walk through suffering is shaped by your heart. What is the heart? Your heart is the causal core of your personhood. Your heart is where all the real action of your life takes place. That leads us to our second question this morning, the primary question, I think, which Proverbs chapter 4 answers for us. Second question, how do we keep our hearts? How do we keep or guard our hearts? Four ways I think this passage shows us to guard our hearts. Uh, First way, that Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27 says that we ought to keep or guard our hearts is to treasure life-giving words. If we want to keep our hearts first, treasure life-giving words. Look there at verses 20 to 22. Notice the, the body part language in these verses. The father says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. He says, let them not escape from your sight. Literally, it says, let them not escape from your eyes. Keep them within your heart. Keep my words within your heart. For they, my words, are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Do you see the father's logic here, right? Working backwards. If you want life to dwell in your heart. If you want a heart with wise and life-giving, God-honoring desires and plans and perception, right? A heart that issues in wise speech and is humble and trusts the Lord. If you want that heart, keep my words in your heart, says the Father. Let my words come and live in your heart. Let them shape your heart and give you life. Okay, great. How do I get the Father's words into my heart? Well, he says, incline your ear to these words. And don't let these words escape from your eyes. Don't take your eyes off them. All right, your your ears and your eyes are the doorway into your heart. They are the doorway for words to enter and live and bring life or death in your hearts. The words that you listen to. The words that you set your attention upon, Proverbs is saying, those words have the, possi- have the capacity to shape you at your core. Maybe, maybe you've seen the 2011 movie, The Help, about two African-American maids in Jackson, Mississippi in 1963 working in a highly prejudiced society. Uh, one of the black maids is named Abilene, uh, and we watch her endure, en- endure unjust a treatment for the, from the family whose child she cares for. But still, Abilene, this maid, she really cares for this family's little girl, and she wants her to grow up strong enough to resist the evil she sees in the world, strong enough to stand up for what's right. And so throughout the movie, Abilene sits this little girl on her knee, And she says to this girl over and over and over as she looks in her eyes, she says, you is kind, you is smart, you is important, right? 
So we might want to qualify Abilene's message, right? Sometimes you is not that kind if you're like every other child in the world, right? But the point is, Abilene understands that the words that make it into your heart will shape you. They will determine how you live. Christian, if we want hearts characterized by true life, we must listen to God's life-giving words. We must not let them escape from our eyes. Abilene's words are, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And that, that sounds good to us. There's, there's something there. There's certainly something to building a child's confidence, provided we also talk about sin, right? But that's actually not the message that can give your heart true life. Listen, Christian, let me give you now some words that can give your heart true life. How about these words? Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, right? When your heart knows its sinfulness and when your heart hears the risen Lord Jesus, the judge of all, who, all the earth who died for your sins, who died for the filth of your heart, speak to you, take heart, my son, take heart, my daughter, your sins are forgiven, Brother, sister, those words can give you life. Keep them in your heart. How about these words from Psalm 56? This I know that God is for me. These are the words, brothers and sisters, that can give our hearts life Whatever I am facing, however I have failed, this I know, my God, the God who gave Christ for me is for me. Keep them in your heart, brother and sister. Other words to give life, this time from the book of Romans, Paul's words, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Let not sin reign. Friends, those words can give you life. If you've been justified by grace through Christ, if you're not trying to justify yourself by your obedience, then God's call to obey him can be to you a source of life. It can be a means of directing you in the way that manifests the life of Christ. Store up God's promises in your heart. Store up God's commandments in your heart. They are, Proverbs says, life to those who find them. Think on them often. Don't let them out of your sight. If we would keep our hearts, we must keep God's life-giving words in our hearts. I know that this is not new in our series in Proverbs. I know we've talked about this before. Proverbs just doesn't seem to mind repeating itself, and I know that I have needed it. First way to keep our hearts is to treasure God's life-giving words. Second way to keep or guard our hearts is to speak truthfully. To speak truthfully. Look there at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. 17 minutes ago, 
under point one, subpoint number seven, we saw that our hearts shape our speech. I'm sure you all remember. Our hearts shape our speech, right? But to put it in the words of the Lord Jesus, out of the abundance of the, mouth, the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, what I see from the placement of these verses in this passage is that the kind of speech we use also in turn shapes our hearts. There's a cyclical, reciprocal relationship there. You see, when you give voice to the proud, arrogant speech that comes out of your heart, it makes your heart even more prideful. It's like scratching the chicken pox and making it worse. When you speak in a way that makes you seem more righteous than you actually are, right, you, you run the risk of deceiving your own heart about your character. You see, the kind of speech that we're told to put away in this verse is crooked speech, right? Or devious talk in the next line. One commentator says that this refers to speech that distorts or deforms the truth. Speech that distorts or deforms the truth. Where does crooked speech show up in our own lives? Well, friend, when, when you make an embarrassing mistake... Notice the way that instinctively you are tempted to talk in order to cover that mistake. If, if you're like me, even, even if you don't, you don't tell brazen lies, right? You're tempted to hide with half-truths. Right? You're tempted to smokescreen. You deflect. You shift blame. You direct your attention away from the clear truth of your error onto other people and what they've done. I'm certainly tempted to do that. Notice the way you're tempted to say things in order to make yourself seem godlier than you are, or, or more hardworking than you are, or just in some other way more impressive. No, notice the way that you're unwilling to say things that you should, because if you do, people will think less about you. And notice, notice the, the way you're tempted to dance around speaking the plain truth in love when it might make other people happy with you. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's crooked speech. And its effect on our hearts is deadly. Crooked speech keeps us from facing our sin so that we might repent and find mercy. A crooked speech is a way of loving yourself more than God, more than your neighbor. So if you want to keep your heart, this passage says, speak truthfully, put away crooked speech. This passage calls us to think about what we are saying. A third way to keep our hearts is think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Look at verses 25 and 26. They say, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. I feel like this happened to me all the time when I was a kid. Have you, have you ever bumped into someone or kind of gotten in the way and, and then been told, hey, look where you're going? I don't know why. I feel like I got told that a lot. It's kind of absent-minded. That seems to be the main idea here. Like, look where you're going. When verse 26 says, ponder the path of your feet, I think what we're being called to do here is to think about what we're doing in life. 
Don't live unreflectively. Don't fail to be self-aware about your choices and the motives behind them. So this, this applies to all of us, certainly applies to me. I, I think it particularly applies to those of us who are young. So if you're here this morning and you are a teenager, or maybe almost a teenager, first, I am genuinely glad that you guys are here. I like every single one of the teens and almost teens that I know at Franconia Baptist Church. Listen, if you're a teenager this morning, Proverbs would encourage you to think about how you're living. How do you treat your parents? How do you treat your siblings? How do you, how do you spend your time? If you make money, if you have an allowance, how do you, how do you spend your money? Right? What, what are the sins that are most tempting to you? What kind of person are you becoming as you grow? Is God's word important to you? And most importantly, do you trust Jesus? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that you need him? Does your heart trust in him? My friends, teenagers, listen, the world... It doesn't just give you the wrong answers to those questions. The world doesn't even want you to think about those questions. It wants you to just run from pleasure to pleasure. But Proverbs says, hey, while you're young, ponder the path of your feet. Think about how you're living. Think about what you're doing. Consider seriously what, whether what you're doing is, is wise there, verse 25 says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Often in the Bible, the straight path is the good path. The straight path is the right path. So teenagers and, and everybody, don't just think about what you're doing. Think about what the straight path looks like. Right? Think about what God's word says. Think about how God's word applies to you. Let your eyes be focused not on getting the approval of your friends, right? not on getting as much pleasure as possible. Let your eyes be on the path that God has called you to walk. And not thinking about how we live is a surefire way to encourage all that's ungodly in our hearts. It's a great way to let sin go unchecked, just not to look where you're going. That leads us to the fourth and final way to keep our heart in this passage. And not only does Proverbs call us to think about which way we are going, it calls us to turn away from evil. There in verse 27, we read, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In our series on Proverbs, we've already heard this wise father urge his son repeatedly not to deviate from the good path, not to turn toward evil. Earlier this week, our brother Eric pointed out to me something unique about this particular uh, admonition. Here, we're instructed to swerve neither to the right nor to the left. Uh, just to be very clear, we're not talking about politics here. But the point seems to be that there's more than one way to err. There are errors on the right and on the left, 
And sometimes the exact opposite of one error is not the right path. It's just another error. You can can stray by being self-righteous. And you can stray by not caring about righteousness at all. You can can stray, if you're a Christian, by by failing to remember that you are God's beloved child. You can stray by failing to live in the security and the boldness that that gives you. You can also stray by failing to remember that God is holy, holy, holy. That He's a consuming fire. That He's worthy of reverence and awe. You can stray by adding human standards to God's Word. And you can stray by failing to take all of God's word seriously. To use the point about pondering the path of your feet. right? You can stray by just not pondering your path at all. Uh, this is another sermon for another day. But you, you can stray by being totally paralyzed by self-analysis. You don't even walk the path. You're just completely caught up in analysis of your, of your feet. So C.S. Lewis put it very provocatively in these words. Again, I'm, I'm grateful to our brother Eric for drawing this to my attention. Lewis says, the devil always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking, which is the worse. You see why, of course. He, the devil, relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. That's so helpful, right? At various times in my life, I've seen my heart bend toward an error on, say, the left because I've been so disgusted by an error on the right, right? But, but guess what? The error that I prefer is still an error, right? The bad news is there's, there's no good sins to pick. Errors on the left, errors on the right. So how do we abstain from, from both? Well, I think we get a clue there from that word, swerve. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Well, literally, that word swerve is the word bend. And get this, it's the same word here in the last verse of the passage, do not swerve. It's the same word that occurs in the very first verse of the passage. When the father says, incline your ear. Literally, he says, bend your ear. So you see what the the author has done. He's bookended this passage with instructions to bend and not to bend. Bend your ear toward my words. Don't bend toward evil. Don't bend your foot toward the left or toward the right. Right? How how do we avoid the error on the left or the error on the right? Not by responding to this or that error, but by bending our ear toward the whole counsel of God. Taking our cues not from the errors of others, but from what the Lord himself says by bending our ear toward his good words. What is the heart? The heart is the causal core of our personhood. How do we keep our hearts? We treasure God's life-giving words. We speak truthfully. We think about what we're doing. And we bend our foot from evil as we bend our ear toward God's word. Third question this morning as we close. Who can give life to our hearts? I'm not sure there's a more convicting subject in the Bible than the matters of the heart because that's where our sin lives. Friend, let me, let me give you these words of life from our call to worship this morning. Friends, bend your ear toward these life-giving words. 
spoken by the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Our passage this morning is a series of commands. It's a series of instructions about how we must vigilantly keep and guard our hearts. But what could be plainer than that our heart's own vigilance cannot be the source of our heart's life? Right? Your, your heart is the power strip into which you plug every facet of your life. Isn't it so clear that you can't plug that power strip into itself? Friend, here is why we said, as we said earlier, God's words give life to dead hearts. It's not because they're powerful moral philosophy. God's words give life because in God's word, God holds out to us the Lord Jesus Christ who died and was raised back to life. And the Jesus that God holds out to us in his word, he promises to give to the hearts of all who trust in him his own new life through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we must keep our hearts vigilantly. Our vigilance is not the source or the guarantee of our new life. The source of our new life, the power to be vigilant is, as Jesus says, the rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit whom Jesus pours into the hearts of all who believe in him. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, friend, we are so delighted that you're here with us this morning. Friend, please understand there's a day coming, the Bible teaches, when God will reveal everything about our hearts and he will give to us what we deserve. This is what the Apostle Paul says about the day when Jesus Christ returns to judge the world. He says, The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And listen, because that's true, we desperately need two things. First and most importantly, we need the forgiveness and mercy of God for our hearts on that day. We don't need to start doing better now. We need to be pardoned. And second, if we are ever to enjoy the life that consists in fellowship with the living God, we need heart surgery. We need a fundamental renovation at the level of our hearts. And friend, can you see that's exactly what the Lord Jesus has given us in the gift of himself. Jesus died to pay the penalty for the past and present and future sins of all who would trust in him on the cross. Jesus took on himself the death that our hearts had earned. Jesus rose from the dead and he offers his life giving Holy Spirit to the hearts of all who trust in him. Whoever believes in me, says the Lord Jesus, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friend, there's nothing more important than having that living water. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, please speak with any of our church members after the service. We'd be delighted to talk to you. 
And let me pray for us as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give new life to dead hearts. Thank you for the rivers of living water, the the Holy Spirit whom you have poured into the hearts of your children. Lord, thank you that you are renewing our lives so that increasingly they are characterized by the life that comes from you, the life that is wise, the life that's in line with your word, the life of truthful speech the life that turns from evil, the life that is reflective and wise. God, I pray that you would produce in us, your children, that kind of life. Lord, help us, help us to keep our hearts with all vigilance. Lord, would you produce in us uh, the life of the heart that's pleasing to you? We ask these things through Christ our Savior. Amen.